Welcome to Make Me Your Voice with Pastor David Bartowell. These messages are intended to deepen your faith and trust in a living God who speaks to us with hope and reason. Today's message comes to us from the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. Good morning. Have you ever heard the names James Flood and Richard O'Neill? Sound familiar? Well, in 1907, they became partners and they purchased 210,000 acres from the Saddleback Mountain all the way to Oceanside. It's called Rancho Mission Viejo. Guess how much they paid for it? 210,000 acres. Now, this is 1907, so it is a lot of money for back then. They paid $460,000, so that averages out to about $2 an acre. You can't buy a house for $460,000 on a little parcel of land. We're living currently in what they bought. That's amazing. And in 1944, Richard O'Neill died. And guess who inherited the land that was held in the trust? Her name is Marguerite. Marguerite Parkway, right? She inherited all the land. Imagine if Marguerite decided to not take the land. Right? Here's all the land... I'm not going to take the land. That would be foolish, right? Well, God said, here's the land to Israel, wandering in the wilderness. And they sent spies in and came back fearful. And they said, we don't want to take the land. How foolish, right? Well, we know that in order to do things like that, it takes faith and it takes courage because they had to defeat the Canaanites, which had a huge wall in Jericho. But what part of I'm going to give you the land did they not understand? What part of God's promises do we not believe? An entire generation, including Moses, was exempt from entering the land due to lack of faith, unbelief. So we're in part four, the last part of this 2020 vision series. First, we talked about the vision of growing, that our vision for our church this year is to double in partnership. But that takes faith and it takes courage and it takes action to invite people and to reach out to people and have them seriously think about being a part of a church that's making a difference. And then the second part was about saving people and a vision to reach the community and a vision for 30 baptisms this year. What if God did more? That'd be awesome. But it's not going to happen unless we're faithful. And then the third part was to restore last week. And we talked about the vision of restoring families and communities through the gate. And then today, I'm going to talk about entering the land, the promised land, because God has promised land to this church. And we need to go take the land. And we can't look around and go, oh, you know, all, every excuse in the book. That ain't going to work. I don't know about you, but I don't want to wander around. I don't have 40 more years, most likely. My grandmother's 100, so that put me at 97. But I want to do it before then. Okay? And then I told you this year that this is the year of the gate. And we got to trust and believe that's God's word to us. And guess what? The gate 
needs land. And I don't think we spend enough time studying what's called the theology of land. Do you know that the Bible speaks a heck of a lot about land? A lot. In fact, the whole beginning of the Bible is God creating land, right? All the covenants include land, and the new covenant, the heavenly land. Abraham was promised a huge portion of land. Israel inhabits this land to this day, although not in its entirety. And one day, a new land, the new heaven and the new earth will descend from heaven. God will create this new land. And it'll be the new Jerusalem. And by the way, Yerushalam, Yerushalam, Yeru in Hebrew city, what's Shalom? Jerusalem is named the city of peace. Is there any peace in Jerusalem? Not currently. But do you think that God doesn't know that one day there will be peace when Jesus Christ sets up his throne in Jerusalem? I love how God names and and recognizes people and places for what we will be, not who we currently are. God doesn't just see us here. He sees us there because we're already there. The Bible says you're already seated in the heavenly realms. So this is the year of the gate. And the gate needs land. So I want to watch this video again. We watched it last week. It's a promotional video about the gate OC. Then I want us to understand that this is not just something that I felt like I had to do a video about. This is something the Lord gave me this vision in 2003. And it's 2020. And you're all here to be a part of this. So let's watch this. The gate is a connection point. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. The community at the gate is a place where that connection can happen. In a place where people are doing what they would naturally do, visiting stores, going to movies. The whole place will be biblically thematic, kind of like Disneyland, but with a Christian theme. So when one enters the gate, it will look like they're entering an old gate in Jerusalem. To the left, they'll see a Christian-owned business. For instance, it could be a Hobby Lobby or a Chick-fil-A or In-N-Out Burger. To the right, one will find the area where there's classrooms, where kids can come after school and receive tutoring. Straight ahead, there'll be a path that leads right to the biggest building, which is an entertainment venue, and it will offer family-friendly entertainment. There's a lot of open space, and that open space is not only a park where kids can play, but there's also statues and symbols that point to the Bible. For instance, there could be a fountain where it shows Moses hitting a rock and water coming out of the fountain, or it could be a tree, and it could be the Zacchaeus tree where Zacchaeus climbed up to see Jesus and the kids can climb up there. Remember, it's all thematic, so the kids can be learning and the families can be learning as they're looking at these symbols from the Bible. Way in the back, there's, a, there's an area where churches, local churches will meet. So the community at the gate will offer buildings and facilities for local churches to use and to rent and to have their 
worship services. And again, the whole reason we're there in the back is we don't we want people just to go as far as they want to go. But hopefully, they'll go all the way and meet Christ and their life and their families will be saved. There's a purposeful evangelism that's happening and it's a natural evangelism because people are coming to places they would normally come to. Then someone might not come into a church building, but they'll come to a mall, they'll come to a center where there's stores and shops and movies and ways where people can get resources to help them have a better life. This community is is built on biblical principles. Everyone needs Jesus. They just don't know it. Our whole goal and objective is to lead someone to Christ and then get them plugged into a local church. The community gate is not a church. It's the church coming together to be a light to the world and this could be an incredible way to connect people to Jesus who's the gate. In order for this vision to be fulfilled, we need people who are like-minded, who are kingdom-minded, who think of God's kingdom above themselves or their local church. We need people who are businessmen or women. We need uh, people who will invest and and give financially. We need people who are attorneys. We need people who are just prayer warriors. If this is spoken to your heart, listen to the Lord and become a part of it no matter what you can do. So I want people to come alongside and be a part of leaving a legacy that's way bigger than us and that will outlast us for eternity. I shared this with somebody and I said, that's a BHAG. I go, what's a BHAG? Because it's a big, hairy, audacious goal. <laughs> I said, yeah, because I worship a big God. And, you know, I told you more about this last week, the organization, uh, we formed another corporation, because the way that it needs to be done is it needs to be done where people don't see it as one church doing this. First of all, there's no way in the world that, well, there is a way God could do it, but God's not going to do it that way because God gave us the vision, but he's going to bring other churches and other people together to do it. So we formed an organization called the City Gate Incorporated, and we're about six months away from being tax exempt. By the way, this church has had the seed money to do all this. Thank God for your giving. You know, we've been able to borrow against the building fund to do this, to get all this going. And then one day we'll be sitting in the land and we'll be looking around going, wow, and you'll be a big part of this. Imagine how greater the evangelism will be and how much greater the worship will be and how much greater the prayer will be and how much greater the revival will be because of the unity of the body of Christ functioning together in a local mall that's for the purpose of glorifying Jesus Christ so that people will be redeemed and restored. I hope they recorded that because that was a good... uh, Remember that spot because I got to hear that again. But that's what it is. And we're blessed to be given this vision. But we need more workers. We need more partners. We need more people to do that. So don't forget, we have to live as if we're there which means in our heart, 
We need to be the gate. What does it say? I am the gate. Whoever enters through me will be saved. We need to connect people to Jesus. And we need to do better at it. I need to do better at it. Let's make that our goal. And I told you something's going to happen in September. Things are going to come together. And we got to be ready. All right? So let's talk about in order to enter the land, one must believe. Again, it's all about faith. It's all about belief. Israel didn't believe God. They didn't trust God to do what he said he would do. Remember where the spies are sent out? Twelve spies, right? And they come back. And what do they say? We're like grasshoppers. They're like giants. They took their eyes off of God and they put their eyes on themselves. And then they looked at themselves as small and they forgot how big God is. Moses was their leader. But gosh, please, can we feel sorry for Moses? He had like the most difficult congregation in the history of the world. You know, every time I look at that, I go, you know, there's been times where it's been difficult congregations, but my gosh, complaining, grumbling people, the constant. So Moses, because he didn't trust God in believing about the rock, and that's a whole thing in itself, because people go, oh, he was left out for that, but God knows what he's doing. So Moses didn't get to enter into the promised land physically, but he's promised land there, he's there. You know, and we were going to see all these people in the great promised land. Can you believe that? I can't wait to see, well, first of all, to see Jesus. But then to see Paul and John, Moses. So now Joshua and Caleb, remember, they were the two that came back and they believed. But they were held out for 40 years. And that whole generation had to die until there was a new generation of believers that got to do it. And that's why it's so important to me, you know, and I say, we're only here for a short time. Let's be like Joshua and Caleb, who had faith and trusted God to enter the land. So open your Bible to Joshua chapter 1. I'll read from there. Now it came about after the death of Moses, so Moses has died, the servant of the Lord, that the Lord spoke to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' servant, saying, Moses, my servant is dead. Now go have a pity party. No, I didn't say that. What did he say? God says, Moses is dead. Now get up. It's time to move. Grieving is good, but we got to go. We got to go. Cross the Jordan, you and all this people, to the land which I'm giving to them. Now what part of the promise do they not? I am giving to them. To the sons of Israel, every place on which the sole of your foot treads, I have given it to you, just as I spoke to Moses. From the wilderness and this Lebanon, even as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, all the land of the Hittites, and as far as the great sea toward the setting of the sun will be your territory. No man will be able to stand before you all the days of your life. Just as I've been with Moses, I will be with you. I will not fail you or forsake you. So that's how God encourages Joshua, but he still had to trust, right? Now, this land was originally promised to Abraham. Way back in Genesis, in chapter 15, it says, On that day, the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying to your descendants, these people we're talking about here, I have given this land, from the river of Egypt, as far as the great river, the river Euphrates, the Kenite, 
and the Kenizzite and the Kadamite and the Hittites and the Rephaim and the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Girgashites and the Jebusites. So I want to show you a picture of that large piece of property. This is where currently, this is the land they're in. This is the promised land. So when people argue and go, why is Israel, you know, want that land? Well, God gave it to them. That's a lot of land. And one day, it'll be occupied entirely. Now, God again promised to Moses in Deuteronomy. He says, every place in which the sole of your foot treads shall be yours. Your border will be from the wilderness to Lebanon and from the river, the river Euphrates as far as the western sea. So three times to three leaders, God promises this. Now, let me ask you a question. Does God always keep his promises? Do you believe that, really? Do you really believe that God keeps his promises? Then what part of his promise do you not believe? I believe Jesus for my salvation, but I don't believe him to take care of my needs. I don't trust him to take care of my finances. I don't trust him to take care of my family. I don't trust him to take care of my marriage. I don't trust him to take care of me. If you're trusting Jesus for your salvation, that's pretty huge. So why doesn't it connect to the everyday life? So sin is missing the mark. It means that we fall short of God's glory. But let's not miss the mark when God gives us such an easy thing to understand. Let's trust his promises because that's where hope comes. So the second thing is we got to have courage. A lot of people have faith. It's courage. That's where people fall short oftentimes. Because it becomes fearful, which is the opposite of faithful. Three times in the next four verses, God says to Joshua these words, Be strong and courageous. Chapter 1, verse 6. So God has just laid it out. He says, Joshua, be strong and courageous. For you shall give this people possession of the land which I swore to their fathers to give to them. These words echo back to an earlier time while Moses was still alive. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 31 for a second. So starting in Deuteronomy 31 verse 1, this is towards the end of Moses' life. So Moses went and spoke these words to all Israel. And he said to them, Check this out. I'm 120 years old today. I am no longer able to come and go, you know, or whatever. I mean, he's 120. And the Lord has said to me, you shall not cross this Jordan. It is the Lord your God who will cross ahead of you. He will destroy these nations before you. And he's speaking to Israel. And you shall possess them. And then look, Joshua is the one who will cross ahead of you. Just as the Lord has spoken, the Lord will do to them just as he did to Sahan and Og, the king of the Amorites, and to their land when he destroyed them. The Lord will deliver them up before you, and you, Israel, shall do to them according to all the commandments which I have commanded you. And then verse 6, again, he says, what? Be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Don't tremble. For the Lord, Yahweh, your God, is the one who goes with you, Joshua. He will not fail you or forsake you. Then Moses called to Joshua and said to him, in the sight of all Israel, so this is accountability. 
There's a commissioning going on. Be strong and courageous, for you shall go with this people into the land which the Lord has sworn to their fathers to give them, and you shall give it to them as an inheritance. Now, what is it about the part that says God has sworn to your fathers, your forefathers, that he would give this land? Again, Joshua could believe, but he had to be courageous enough not only to step into the land, but to lead Israel into the land. So Moses is passing the baton to Joshua, which is going to leave Moses' legacy to continue through someone else. So who in your life is that person or those people? Who are you passing the baton so that your life could continue in your ministry? So Moses and Israel, again, they were left out for that original generation. And then an entire generation passes away due to unbelief. So this is why it's important that we don't want to miss what God has for this church and for this community. And we don't want to miss what God has for your family and your marriage by not believing, but also acting in courage to do the things that need to be done to receive that inheritance of that promised land, whatever that means to you in your life. We have to be strong. We have to be brave because the eternal souls of people hang in the balance. We need to reach this community because we're here. Now, notice the different translations for verse 6. The NASB says, Be strong and courageous, for you, you, Joshua, shall give this people possession of the land. But look at the ESV. Be strong and courageous, for you shall cause this people to inherit the land. Which one's more accurate? I think it's the ESV, because it's God who's giving the land. But Joshua is either going to cause them to enter it or not. In other words, it's up to his leadership. Is he going to trust God enough to be strong and courageous to do it? Because that's the difference. That's the difference. Because if Joshua's weak, if Joshua is irresolute, where he's not trusting God and being courageous, then this whole cause is in deep trouble. Now, it's interesting. Joshua is the same name as Yeshua. Who's Yeshua? Jesus. Yeah, that's correct. What does Yeshua mean? The God who saves. That's Jesus' name. Joshua is the same. Jesus was extremely brave. Jesus was extremely faithful. Jesus took upon him your sin and my sin. The sinless one took upon him your sin so that you could get to heaven and not be held in penalty and account to your sin. Once you believe in Jesus Christ, it's as if his righteousness has come upon you. doesn't mean that you're perfect. It means that he is perfect and God sees you through him. That's an incredible thing. Do you know how much bravery that took? Do you know how agony so that we could enter the promised land, heaven? And Jesus appoints leaders in his church, shepherds, who are called to feed 
with the word of God and to protect God's sheep. And let me just tell you, it's hard enough to have courage as a leader, but it's even harder when the congregation doesn't move forward according to God's plan. It makes it extremely difficult. That's why I say again, don't be those people. Be faithful people, trusting people, courageous people. Imagine yourself on a boat on D-Day. And you're coming into Normandy. The enemy's shooting at you. And you're obeying orders from your commander to jump the ship and run straight towards the bullets. The mission is great. The purpose is worthy to defeat evil. But it took a lot of courage. Now what if you, in the boat, decided not to jump and run? What if your job was to cover your fellow soldiers as they ran into that enemy fire, but you became afraid and you ran the opposite way. Now, obviously, we're not being shot up by physical ammunition, but we are being shot up by spiritual warfare. That's why it's important to be brave, to be strong, to pray, but to walk and enter the land. We have to muster up courage. God cannot make you Do the things you know you're supposed to do. He's waiting for us to act in faith. And because of the faithfulness and the courage of those soldiers, they took land back from the enemy. And we are called in the Lord's army, as Joshua and Israel, to take land from the enemy. The enemy has been given certain permission, Satan and his demons. You know, the Bible is very clear that one day Satan will be thrown into the lake of fire with every other unbeliever. But right now he's given some authority and permission. He's called the prince of the world. So you notice, hopefully, that he's all about taking things that are God's, trying to take them, whether it be people, land, So isn't it about time that we start to take that land back from the enemy? That's the kingdom of God working together. That's what that vision is about. That's why land is so important in the Bible. We're not going to build it in the air. We're going to build it on land. We just got to go take it. But we need your prayers. We need your faithfulness and we need your courage. And the Bible says the reason the Son of God appeared was to destroy the works of the devil. And we, the kingdom of God, are to work on behalf of Jesus to continue to take what the enemy has taken and give it back to God. It also says this in Matthew 12, 29. Jesus says, How can someone enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man? And the strong man he's referring to is Satan. Then indeed he may plunder his house. So what Jesus is saying that in order to take what he plundered, you have to bind him. How was Satan bound? By the cross. Because if there's one thing that he had a lot of rain on was people's souls who were lost and dying in their sin. But nobody has to be in Satan's house, a plunder to Satan anymore. Jesus bound him from us. He doesn't have us anymore. And when I say us, believers who have the Holy Spirit, who have placed their faith in Christ and received the Holy Spirit by faith. Otherwise, they're sitting ducks and they don't know it. 
Jesus did all the hard work. All we have to do is do our part. And then the third thing is to be careful. How you fight is important. We don't fight in our flesh. We don't use our physical ammunition. We use the word of God, which is the sword of the spirit. And we preach the gospel everywhere we are. David M. Howard writes, It is striking that God's instructions here to Joshua are not about military matters. Given that Joshua and the Israelites faced many battles ahead, however, the keys to his success were spiritual, directly related to the degree of his obedience to God. The keys to Joshua's success were the same as those for a king, being rooted in God's word rather than depending upon military might. And that's what the king of Israel was supposed to do. So in verse 7, Joshua says, again, only be strong and very courageous. So up your game. Be careful. And that means guard yourself, guard your heart to do according to all the law which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Remember, that's the Mosaic covenant, which is the Ten Commandments and the law. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left so that you may have what? Success wherever you go. So how does someone have success by doing God's will. That's how you have success, which takes courage. And I was so blessed this week because literally I was driving to the seminary and I was like, Lord, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? I mean, I know you opened the doors for me, but what am I doing? And just then I got there and I looked at my phone. There was an email from someone and it said, Pastor David, thank you for working so hard at your PhD so that you can help us. I was like, that's what? And then I go and I led worship in the morning. And then the guy who spoke, spoke about Paul, the Apostle Paul being in prison. And then Philippians, and he's writing to the Philippians. He says, you know, it's way better if I just go to be with Jesus. But if God leaves me here, it's so I can work for you. And then he said, God uses us to work for others because he loves those we're working for. That really ministered to me. But it takes work. It takes courage. How many times have we missed blessings and things because, oh, I don't know where I could do that. God can do whatever he wants to do. You already said that. So now walk in that. Proverbs 3, 5 through 6. Read it with me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. How's your path straight? You do God's will. You acknowledge him. Do you know that the 40 years of wandering, the promised land was only a few miles, the entrance. They could have got there in a few weeks, but they didn't believe. Verse 8, this book of the law, Joshua shall not depart from your mouth, so speak it out loud. But you shall meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful, guard yourself, to do according that all is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous and then you will have success. Now, in biblical meditation is not like this, you know, transcendental meditation. The Old Testament concept of meditation involves two things. First, to focus upon God himself, his works, or his law. And second, an activity that was done aloud. Reading the word. This is why God told Joshua that this law book should not leave your mouth. And then again, C.F. Keel makes the valuable observation that the word here, meditate, haga, 
does not mean theoretical speculation about the law, such as the Pharisees did, but a practical study of the law for the purpose of observing it and doing it and carrying it out with their heart, their mouth, and their hand. That's why Jesus said, you will know the truth, which is an experiential know, and you will be free. Joshua verse 9, have I not commanded you? Again, God says, be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not get discouraged or dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. If God is with you wherever we go, we shouldn't be afraid. So God was saying to Joshua, don't let them take your courage away, because discourage means courage that's taken away. And remember, Joshua saw what happened when Israel got afraid and discouraged. So God's saying, don't do that. Don't let them take your courage away. You know, people want to take your courage away. That's not what God wants. He wants you to be courageous. Don't listen to people that are telling you can't do that if you're working according to God's word and he's telling you to do these things or I'm telling you to do these things because I take what I do seriously. I just want to preach the Bible, but it also applies to us. I don't pick out passages for the heck of it. I think this is for us. So believe God. So Joshua is here on the verge of finally leading the people in the land, but there's a huge obstacle in the way, Jericho. And if you know anything about Jericho, they had huge walls. So imagine God's telling you, go take the land, go build the gate. And then there's like every obstacle in the world. First of all, I'm like, why would God call a musician who's a pastor to build a mall? Because that's what God does. He's always taking us out of our comfort zone. Then why would he do it in California? which is like extremely hostile to Christian type of things. Because God wants to be glorified. Imagine, how did you do that? God did it. So the walls come down if you're willing to walk. Faith is a verb. I don't have time to get into the whole thing of how thick the walls are, but if you don't know the story, God tells them, walk around the walls, and they're very thick walls for seven days. And on the seventh day, walk around seven times. And just real quick, I want to tell you a story. When I was on staff as a worship pastor at Houston in the Woodlands, and we were meeting in a school. We grew, so we needed another school. But that school wouldn't let us go. So our pastor gets this cockamamie idea. He says, we're going to walk around school seven times. Okay, so the three of us, me, the executive pastor, and the senior pastor, we walk around, and all the kids and the teachers are looking at us like, what are we doing? And we're singing praise songs walking around. We did it for seven times, and the next week, we got into the school. Now, does God always do it that way? No, but he told the pastor to do it that way, and he did it that way. He told Israel to do it that way. So the next thing, so we have to walk in faith, and then we have to praise. We have to praise God, because that's what they're doing. They're praising him with the trumpet and the sounds. That's why, to me, if you want walls to come down, praise God, worship God, and get here for praise and worship, and sing, and make a joyful noise, and lift your hands, and clap, because all those things in praise to God, walls come down, okay? On the last verse, Joshua 6, 16 says, on the seventh day, when the priests blew the trumpets, Joshua said to the people, shout, for the Lord has given you the city. So that's the next thing, shout. We need to shout, okay? Israel was very animated. 
But I'm thinking they're walking around in Jericho's. They're not going to, the walls aren't going to come down. You know, Hebrews 11.30 says, By faith, the walls of Jericho fell and the army had marched around them for seven days. Now, maybe you've been waiting for walls to fall down for seven days or seven years or 70 years. It's by faith. It's by walking. It's by praising. It's by shouting. It's by trusting and being bold and courageous to not care what people think about you, but what God is thinking about you. So we're going to do something really weird right now. First of all, this is a ram's horn. So when they say use the trumpets, it probably looked like this. Probably sounded like that. Imagine a, there's like a million people, maybe that's what they say. And all the priests and everything, and they're making noise. The Bible, Psalm 47, 1, read it with me. Oh, clap your hands, all peoples. Shout to God with the voice of joy. So what we're going to do right now, and this might be weird, I don't care. Because I'm just doing what I feel the Lord wants us to do. First, we're going to stand up, okay? And here's what you're doing. We're not doing this just to make noise. I'm going to blow this trumpet in faith that the walls are going to come down. Whatever they are for you, you know what they are. They're big. They're thick. You're going to praise out loud. If you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to do it. Some of you will. And you're going to shout praises to the Lord. You're going to say, praise you, God. Hallelujah. We worship you. Whatever you feel like saying. Because the walls will come down. Satan will run because he can't take that praise. He hates that praise. Right? So we're going to attack the land. Ready? Walk around, walk around. Hallelujah, Lord. We worship you, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Did you feel the release? Did you feel the air, the tension in the air drop? You just turned into a charismatic church. But I'm telling you something. There's something that we miss. When we go way on the other side where we're afraid to like express our worship. And I think we miss what God might want to do in our life because we get so f- into our own mind and our own self. Do this more. Do this more. But you show up to praise. You show up to worship. And you do it on a daily basis. You may need to walk around the walls of your house or your work. Whatever it is. Let the walls come down by your praise. And God's the one who brings them down. But we just got to do what he's telling us to do. That's all I'm saying. Just do what he's telling you to do. 
Pastor David Bartowell's message reminds us that God speaks to us with hope and reason so that we can be His voice in this world. Please join us again for Make Me Your Voice, a ministry of the Gate Christian Bible Church in Orange County, California. We would love to have you join us for a Sunday service. For more information or to find our location, please visit thegatecbc.com. Make me-